Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we're talking to Professor Avi Loeb. Professor is the head of Galileo Project, founding director of Harvard University's Black Hole Initiative, director of the Institute for Theory and Computation at Harvard's Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He's the former chair of the astronomy department at Harvard University from 2011 to 2020. He chairs the advisory board for the Breakthrough Starshot Project and is a former member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology and a former chair of the Board on Physics and Astronomy of the National Academies. He is the best-selling author of Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth and a co-author of the textbook Life in the Cosmos, both published in 2021. Hello, Professor. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I'm really excited about our interview today, as this is a topic that I've long has been wanted to cover. And, you know, I'd like to begin by just mentioning, of course, you have such an impressive academic and professional background, Professor. I'd love to know what's the origin, what's the source of your special curiosity regarding the universe and extraterrestrial life? Is it something that, you know, has been accompanying you since your childhood? Or is it something that maybe evolved as you found so many unanswered questions within your field? Well, it's definitely my childhood. I grew up on a farm. I was um, very connected to nature, much more so than to people. I used to go on a tractor to the hills of the village and read philosophy books. And I was really curious about the big questions. And then the thing that frustrated me the most was at dinner, I would ask uh, difficult questions and the adults in the room very often dismissed the question simply because they didn't know the answer to it. And it was obvious to me that they uh, prefer to maintain their image as if you know, they are the adults in the room and they are supposed to know everything, but this question is of no interest. And um, I, I thought of having a career primarily in the humanities, in philosophy, but since I grew up in Israel, I was uh, drafted to the military, but I could do work in physics and in science. And that led me to finish a PhD in physics and astronomy at age 24. And eventually I was offered a postdoctoral fellowship at Princeton and eventually also at the Harvard University, a junior faculty position. And at that point, once I became tenured at Harvard, I realized that even though it's an arranged marriage, I'm actually married to my true love because you can address uh, very fundamental questions using the scientific method as an astrophysicist. And I'm very happy at the place where I am right now. The second thing that uh, I should mention is, uh, aside from being connected to nature, you know, I realized that the best way for us to learn about nature is through experiments, through uh, the evidence that we find. And, and science, for me, is a rescue from uh, prejudice, from wishful thinking that humans often have. And instead of uh, listening to the adults in the room, I prefer to find the answer by observing nature. And that is very rewarding because very often nature is more imaginative than we are. I can give you many examples for that from the history of science. 
And of course, the most memorable one is uh, the beginning of modern science with Galileo Galilei, who looked through his telescope and concluded that, in fact, we are not at the center of the world, the center of the universe, as everyone wanted to believe. You see, people are often driven to virtual realities that flatter their ego. We want to believe that we are important, privileged, and so forth. And, And when Galileo said that, the philosophers back then said, no, that cannot be right. Uh, We know the truth. We are at the center of the world and they put him in house arrest. Today, they would have canceled him on social media. But if you were to ask those philosophers to design a space mission to Mars, they would get it wrong because they thought that Mars moves around the earth. And so my point is, reality is whatever it is. You know, if if we sit at home and say that we don't have any neighbors, that will not get rid of our neighbors. Exactly. And you said that, you know, you're basically married to your passion. You're working within your passion. And I completely understand that as the projects you're involved, they're just amazing. They're fantastic. So let's begin by the Galileo project, if you don't mind. I understand that it has the ultimate goal to eliminate the term UAP. So for the listeners that that don't know, it stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena which used to be the the UFO in the past, right? So your ultimate goal is to eliminate UAP from our lexicon by clarifying the nature of all objects within the sky, by identifying the origins. May it be human, natural, from space. So how, how are you planning to do that? Like, will it be entirely based on... AI algorithms analyzing, I see you mentioned in in your articles, Planet Labs data and other maybe open sources of data, or will it also involve a cross-collaboration between agencies, experts, and countries? It just sounds really complex, you know? (laughs) No, it's it's actually very simple because uh, the principle is similar to what Galileo used, which is look through my telescope, he said, and, and that's what we are planning to do. You see, people have a prejudice. They think that everything we see in the sky must be either natural or human-made, and the possibility of something else is being ridiculed. But two things happened. One, in uh, 2017, there was an object that came from outside the solar system that was spotted near Earth. It was the first one that astronomers spotted from outside the solar system. And at first, the astronomers thought, oh, it must be a comet, because these are the most abundant objects in the outskirts of the solar system. So it's easy to dislodge them by a passing star. And so you can imagine rocks coming from other stars visiting our solar system from outside. But it didn't look like a comet because it wasn't evaporating. There was no gas or dust around it. And the object was given the name Oumuamua, which means a scout in the Hawaiian language because the telescope was in Hawaii when it was discovered. And then as it was tumbling, the amount of sunlight reflected from it changed by a factor of 10, which meant that it has a very extreme shape, most likely pancake-like, flat, based on the reflection of sunlight. And then it was pushed away from the sun by some mysterious force that couldn't be the rocket effect from evaporating gases. So um, I suggested maybe it's pushed by reflection of sunlight. But for that, the object had to be very thin, And uh, in fact, in September 2020, there was another object that showed push away from the sun as a result of reflection of sunlight with no cometary tail. It was given the name 2020 SO, discovered by the same telescope. And after a few weeks, the astronomers realized, 
oh, actually, this object is a rocket booster that came from a 1966 launch to the moon. It was made by us. So it's clear that it's artificial. The question is, who made Oumuamua, this object that was uh, associated with um, an origin outside the solar system? So um, that's the wake-up call as far as I'm concerned. At that point, it became clear to me, you know, that we might have packages in our mailbox and we are not checking it. Uh, maybe there are things that were sent by other civilizations that are artificial because nature doesn't make thin objects. And then the um, director of national intelligence in the United States submitted a report to Congress on June 25th, 2021, in which the government, the intelligence agencies, admit that they see objects whose nature is unclear. And some of these objects are observed from satellites, you know, from above, not necessarily from below. But the government doesn't is unable to infer that these objects you know, are human-made or natural, if would have suspected that they're human-made, like in Russia or China, they would have kept it secret. They wouldn't just announce publicly that there are objects they cannot understand. So to me, that was uh, intriguing. And the government is not really a scientific organization. I think it's a question, if it's not a matter of national security, it's a matter of science, because science is international. Any person on earth should share the scientific knowledge that we gain over time. So this should be a scientific project. And I decided to announce the Galileo project in July 2021 as a result of a few multi-billionaires that visited the porch of my home and were inspired by my book, Extraterrestrial, that was published a year ago. And they decided to give $2 million to my research account at Harvard, and that established the basis for this project. And by now we have more than 100 scientists involved in it. And we are planning to build the first telescope systems on the roof of the Harvard College Observatory in the coming months. And then once it operates, so the idea is for these unidentified objects that the government noticed, you know, the sky is not classified. We hope to see similar things. So we will take a video of the sky at all times in the infrared, in visible light, in radio. We'll also record the audio and then analyze it with artificial intelligence software to figure out what kind of objects are we seeing. Are they natural, a bird, a lightning, a meteor, or are they human-made, like a drone, an airplane, a satellite? And of course, if everything falls into these two categories, we'll be done. And we will clarify that there is nothing else. You know, that by itself is an important service to the government because they weren't able to figure it out. So here we come to the service. Uh, scientists will use state-of-the-art instrumentation and use the scientific method to figure out what these objects are. And we will apply the same approach also to figure out what objects like Oumuamua are by bringing a camera very close to such an object in the future. So once we identify another object like Oumuamua, we'll send a spacecraft that will be equipped with a camera that will come within a thousand kilometers of that object and take a close-up photograph because they say a picture is worth a thousand words. In my case, a picture is worth 66,000 words, the number of words in my book. I wouldn't need to write the book if, if we had an image. I just want to figure out what these objects are, you know, and it's like a fishing expedition. If, it, if they end up being natural object, so be it. But there is also the possibility that there are plastic bottles that, you know, <laughs> among all the rocks that we have seen in the past, that 
there is something that was manufactured by an advanced extraterrestrial technological civilization. So will it be the answer for the Fermi's paradox? It's like, where are they? Maybe they're right here. We are just not being able to, you know, check the mailbox. Maybe just went to the junk mail. Maybe we're not just not seeing it right, right? Yeah, I, I think Fermi, 70 years ago he, at lunch, uh, asked the question, where is everybody? And that is very presumptuous because it's just like sitting on the sofa at home and saying, nobody is knocking on my door, therefore I don't have any neighbors. And the point is you have to look through your windows and you better use a telescope if you want to find whether you have neighbors. And in the context of, uh, for example, a fishing expedition, you want to use a fishing net. You can't just sit on the beach and say, where are all the fish? So it's really presumptuous of uh, Fermi to you know, ask this question at lunch in, in Los Alamos as if the they are supposed to fall in his lap or visit him. Or, I mean, uh, space is huge. And also, you know, if you think about recorded human history, that's only 10,000 years old. And that's one millionth of the age of the Earth. So the chance that right now we will see something that indicates beyond any reasonable doubt an extraterrestrial origin is really small. Space and time are vast relative to our lifetime, to the region that we explore usually. And really, the first uh, telescope, survey telescope, that could see an object as big as a football field within the orbit of the Earth around the sun from the uh, reflection of sunlight was this telescope in Hawaii that discovered Oumuamua. That was the first time over the past decade that we were able, first time in human history, that we were able to see an object as big as a football field passing through the orbit of the Earth around the sun. And and by the way, NASA never launched a spacecraft as big as a football field. They always launched things that are smaller than that. There may be many more smaller things passing by, and we haven't noticed them. So I'm curious. Let's say that we finally get a hold on an extraterrestrial equipment. To whom should it belong? Like whoever finds it gets it. We don't really have an updated space law or space governance or any international agreement that states ownership and boundaries and rights. So how, how would it be handled? Actually, a week ago, I attended a forum where I met the senior curator of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And I told her that if I do put my hands on such equipment, I will bring it to the Museum of Modern Art. I think it would be a piece of art to look at. But of course, you know, that's the last thing I would do or the last thing I would think about because the first thing is, you know, there are two types of objects you can imagine. It, you can imagine trash, you know, like Voyager was a spacecraft that we launched and it's, it's leaving the solar system. And within a billion years, it will be trash. It will not be functional anymore. You couldn't really do anything with it. So there will be these types of objects that look just like trash. But then there would be a second class of objects that are functional and they could be equipped with artificial intelligence so they could potentially be autonomous and collect information. And those are really problematic because right now we don't have a protocol of how to deal with a visitor in our backyard. People thought about what happens if we detect a radio signal from distant planet. But, you know, the stars are very far away. The nearest star is four light years away. And the stars across the Milky Way galaxy are tens of thousands of light years away. So... 
if we ever receive a signal, we would have plenty of time to decide how to respond, you know, because it takes so much time to traverse those distances, even for light. So um, people never thought about a protocol, how to respond immediately. But if you have a visitor in your backyard, you have to decide promptly who represents humanity. Okay, there needs to be some organization that decides what to do. Frankly, I'm worried that even if we had an organization that represents humanity and analyzes what this object is trying to accomplish and so forth in order to figure out how to respond, even if we do that, there would be some humans that do not obey the, the rules, that they would do whatever they want and engage with such an object. And of course, that would put everyone else at risk. You never know what the agenda is of something that came from another culture. I actually was in another forum with uh, Henry Kissinger. He's now 98 years old. And I asked him, you know, he advocated for realpolitik as a method for dealing with other nations. And that's sort of the pragmatic approach for how to deal with politics. And I asked him, how would you deal with a piece of equipment that came from a foreign culture that you know nothing about? He said, well, first we need to understand the intent. What is it trying to accomplish? Which is, which is true. I mean, that, that's what we need to find out first. And then we can decide how to respond to it. And I definitely want to get a little deeper in this subject later today. Just going back to something you mentioned. You mentioned all the junk that is out there floating around us, right? So I was reading that there is more than 27,000 pieces of junk and for sure maybe some hidden treasures among them. And this number is only about to increase. Is this something that, you know, we should be worried about? Or I honestly never added, you know, space trash collectors to the jobs of the future we are listing. So <laughs> should it be a concern or is it, is it somehow being addressed in a smart way? Yeah, it's definitely a concern. Um, but uh, what you are referring to are pieces of equipment that we launched or parts of bigger objects that broke up and they are hovering above the earth. So all of this junk that you're referring to is in our backyard, so to speak. You know, this is junk that we produced. It, you know, it's just like having all the junk. I mean, I have a lot of junk at home. In fact, we do have uh, old computers in the basement. And my wife once said that there was a nearby visit by the FBI, not, not in our home, somewhere else. But And she said, why don't we invite them to take all the old computers from our home? Because she wants to get rid of them. So, I mean, there is a lot of junk, okay, uh, that we produced close to us. And, and that's a serious issue because, you know, if it collides with satellites, it would damage them. And we need to somehow clean it up. And there are agencies and people thinking about how to clean it up. And various methods were thought about. Of course, if you push them, nudge them into the atmosphere, they would burn up. Many of them are small and they burn up in the atmosphere. But there are ideas about collecting them in a more intelligent way. But all of this trash is near us. It's produced by us. What I'm talking about are objects like Oumuamua, you know, that enter the solar system from outside. You can call it space trash, you know, like this came or interstellar trash. Maybe that's a better term. And it's really archaeology, uh, what we will do in this context, trying to, you know, look at the relics that were left behind by other civilizations. And those may not be around, you know, these the senders may not be around. 
because they sent it maybe a billion years ago. By the way, I don't think that uh, Albert Einstein was the smartest scientist since the Big Bang. You know, there was probably a smarter scientist on another planet around another star a billion years ago. And um, the civilization that benefited from the wisdom of that scientist uh, was able to send probes throughout the Milky Way galaxy. And, and within a billion years, you can pretty much go anywhere in the Milky Way galaxy. So, so all we need to do is check whether we live in that reality. And by the way, it's not a philosophical question. A, a lot of people think about it as a philosophical question. It's not. It's just a question of looking through our telescopes, which is pretty much what Galileo said. Listen, we have so much to cover. That's really, really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Professor Avi. We are going to a second episode. Make sure everybody keep tuned in. We're going to be back soon. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.